We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to another edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show. My name is Andrew Claudio, a.k.a. GMAC, and it's time to preview the Knicks' upcoming matchup against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Joining me to do it in just a few seconds is someone who works for the Cleveland Cavaliers, a former um, friend of Blue Wire, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, uh, Justin Rowan of the Chase Down Podcast. I don't think I have to give context as to what the Chase Down is, but if I do, if you remember Game 7 of the 2016 NBA Finals, LeBron had a very famous Chase Down block, and I, I argue if it's it's the iconic LeBron image from his career. Like, Kareem has a skyhook. Um uh, Michael Jordan, I would say it's the the Jumpman logo, but I also think the the shot against Utah is the shot I think of with Michael Jordan. Well, for LeBron James, it's a block. It's it's a defensive play, which I think makes perfect sense for his career. And they named a podcast after it, and it was really successful on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and so much so that the uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers decided to add it to the Cleveland Cavalier media family. So shout out to Justin, who joined me for, geez, like 45 minutes to preview the Knicks matchup against the Cavaliers. It is obvious what the Knicks-Cavaliers connections are, the big one being the player that one team traded for this summer and the other team didn't. We talk all about it. We preview this game. Talk about so many things that are relevant to the Knicks right now, including... How much blame for this losing streak falls on the head coach, how fan bases react when it comes to losing. And uh, I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. At least I hope you really enjoy this episode. Um, I think that's a decent enough preview. We've got a lot of show to get to. So let's get to it. Here is my conversation previewing the Knicks matchup against the Cavaliers with Justin Rowan of the Chase Down podcast. Enjoy. Joining me now on the next edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show with the Knicks about to play the Cleveland Cavaliers for the third time this season, potentially with Donovan Mitchell. And I'm, I'm sure that that will come up and nobody will talk about what happened this summer. We've all moved on and it will never be mentioned once in a pregame or postgame like in the podcast you're about to hear. Uh, he is one half of the Chase Down podcast, which used to be part of the Blue Wire podcast family, but instead graduated to the Cleveland Cavaliers media family. 
Uh, he is Justin Rowan. Justin, welcome to the Knicks Film School pregame show. How you been? I've been great, Andrew. Thank you so much for having me back. Uh, I, I love the work that you guys do. And uh, yeah, you know, we're still still got the, the blue wire roots at, at heart. So we're all still part of the same family in my, spirit. My, might I call you aspirational, Justin? The, the, path, the roots <laughs> Please the don't. that you eventually, eventually took. Yeah. Please don't. At the end of the day, this is still just a, a side hobby for us. We, we have a lot of fun doing it. Uh, it's, it's still an honor uh, that the Cavs have, have kind of enabled us to to do it and, and occupy this lane. But uh, at the end of the day, we're just fans being stupid and, and trying our best to, to at least be a little informed while we're being stupid. I might, might, might steal that for a slogan in the future. Fans being stupid, but trying to be informed while being stupid. If it hey, listen, might, be, might be a I, Knicks film school logo in a pretty, pretty soon. You know, I got my start aggregating on uh, SB Nation site, so I, I'm all here for aggregation. You know, it makes the world go around, especially these days. There you go. Um, so you Cavaliers, twenty nine and nineteen. Um, I, I wonder. Obviously, we're going to talk about Donovan Mitchell because we haven't had a Cavs person on to talk about this summer and how things were going one way or seemed to be going one way, and obviously went another way for for us here in New York. But as far as this season goes. How are the vibes? Is it is it anything everything you thought it would be? Is it worse? Is it better? What's the season been like? Yeah, I, I think the vibes have been pretty damn good for the Cavs this year. Um, I think there was more of an expectation of a prolonged growing period. And it, it's funny because it's almost like they've had a little bit of that uh, delayed. Um, I, I would say the last month has been a little bit uh, more testy for the Cavs. And, and even looking at the schedule, uh, it was anticipated that January would be the toughest month. But the problem is a lot of the struggles are coming in the games that you wouldn't have thought would be an issue, right? Like dropping a, a game against the Warriors where they rest their starters um, being up against the Timberwolves. And then as soon as Rudy Gobert goes out of the game, you blow that lead uh, frustrating loss to the jazz where you give up a, a seven point possession and, and everything kind of goes sideways from there. Uh, so there's definitely been some growing pains, but overall I think it's been a very encouraging season. Uh, you look at that first month, uh, the first full month that Garland and Mitchell got to play together, which was uh, November Garland was averaging 24 and nine, Mitchell's 27 and four playing so well off each other. You had some games where uh, Mobley and Allen got very involved as well, but uh, injuries have definitely been part of the story. I believe they're third in player games missed uh, mm. at this point of the year. Uh, obviously Darius Garland had the eye injury in the opening minutes against Toronto. Uh, never fun to play the Raptors. You're always going to leave with at least one injury. Um, and, can, and then and confirm as the Knicks have played the Raptors four times in the last three weeks and have yeah. lost two, two more key rotation players in the meantime. Yeah, well, the Cavs lost Dean Wade in, in their second meeting against mm. the Raptors. I, I believe he tried playing a, another day or two after that and uh, ended up missing seven weeks. So Dean Wade is now back in the lineup. Uh, Darius Garland was dealing with a thumb issue on his shooting hand, but it is now out of that thumb sling and uh, has been playing a lot better these last couple of games. So things seem to be trending in the right direction, but it's just a matter of this team trying to find some consistency. So is that the the focus right now that it's let well obviously getting healthy is a thing you want to eventually focus on, but is this the team going forward? Obviously with the the picks that went out in the Mitchell trade, not much can be done as far as a, like there's no Ananobi trade, obviously, but <laughs> like as far as upgrading the roster as the Hachimura trade, the time of recording happened minutes ago. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems like trade season is officially upon us for those of us looking to upgrade our rosters uh, is, is, 
Is there a hint of outside help that the Cavs are looking for? Or do you think that it's what what we have here is is what we're going to war with this playoff? Uh, I I would expect a trade, honestly, just because okay. historically the, the Cavs have um, always made a trade at the deadline. Like that's been part of the fun of, of covering the Cavs is uh, they're, they're never really sitting on their hands. And uh, it'll be interesting to see which direction they go, because they do not have first round picks to, to play with. They do have a, quite a few seconds. They also have expiring contracts. You, you have the Karis LeVert expiring contract at 18 million. Jetty Osmond's a partially guaranteed uh, contract. Kevin Love, obviously a big expiring contract, although I don't really anticipate him being on the trade market. Um, but you, you've heard uh, the rumors uh, of them being connected to Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, mm. as a potential Karis LeVert swap, which uh, depending on how you feel about each player, you, you could say one is better than the other. But I think the theory behind that would be kind of fitting and getting a volume shooter, volume movement shooter alongside Mitchell and Garland. So I wouldn't be surprised uh, to see a move on the margins. But in terms of needle movers, I don't think you're going to get that on the trade market. Like with the Cavs being as young as they are, the only thing that's going to move the needle is internal growth from Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, and even Jared Allen, because he's only 24 years old, which is easy to forget. But uh, Donovan Mitchell, I think, is the closest thing they have to a finished product. But outside of that, internal growth is really the most important thing. Yeah, that was that was what the case was made when when we were talking ourselves out of what what almost was the Donovan Mitchell trade in New York that just how ready the Cavs were to make an all-in move like that because a Mobley could get better, a Garland could get better, other other pieces could get better. And, you know, that's how you you build up the core around around Mitchell. Um, is that well, I guess I'll ask you personally, it's kind of a two-part question. The expectations for this season, are you able to enjoy the season as it's going? Um, because like you've got this great player, you've got this mm-hmm. fun team, or do the playoffs kind of present this? Like that's when the season actually starts. And I guess also how do fans feel about it? Like, well, what's the general tone around the the fan base that are they able to enjoy these regular season moments or, or is it kind of just waiting to see what the return on this all ends up being in the postseason? I think it's been a bit of a split. Um, now that we're a football season is over, you're getting an influx of kind of the general Cleveland fans and, and Browns fans. And uh, I think there's an expectation that, oh, you traded for Donovan Mitchell. That means you're a contender where the Cavs, even at the introductory press conference and, and media day this year, the expectation isn't championship this year. Like, frankly, like even if you added a bonafide small forward that doesn't have any questions. It's a perfect fit. Let's say you cloned Harrison Barnes and you dropped him on the Cavs. I don't think you win this year because experience matters so much. Mm. And even looking at Boston, Boston finally got over the hump last year with the core that they had. But their first real taste of the playoffs came in 2018 against the Cavs, right? Like that Eastern Conference Finals. They should have beat Cleveland and inexperience and LeBron going nuclear was the only reason that they managed to eke out a very small victory in game seven that those growing pains, the the growing pains that Giannis went through with Milwaukee and all these teams that organically are built. It's typical. And I think you're going to see that with the Cavs, uh, no matter what roster moves are done. So I I think the expectation among uh, at least ourselves and a lot of the Cavs fans is get to the second round. Try try to, you know, avoid the play-in tournament because that was a nightmare last year. Um, win a playoff series. And the best way to do that 
is by playing well in the regular season and giving yourself a more favorable matchup in the first round. So I think that is the priority. Um, I think you're feeling a little bit of angst right now just because of like some PTSD from last season where the Cavs had a front loaded schedule like they do this year. Um, at this point on, the Cavs have the second easiest schedule in the league for the rest of the season, which was the same case last year where at the all-star break, they were about a game out of first place in the East, but then you lost Darius Garland for the majority of February. You lost Larry Markkinen, you lost Karis Levert. Then when those guys came back, you lost Jared Allen, you lost Dean Wade, you lost Evan Mobley. It, it was just a nightmare, right? Like it, it just because the schedule is going to get easier. doesn't mean you're going to win those games. So I, I think teams want the uh, fans want more of a cushion and a big part of that is beating the Knicks tomorrow. Like that, that's going to be really, really important to, to buy some more breathing room because even though you're closer to two than you are to seven, that can shift with a bad week in, in the NBA. Well, I got good news for you. You're catching the Knicks at the perfect moment. With no Mitchell <laughs> Robinson, no Emmanuel Quickly. Um, a team that just they need bench help, right? Like like yesterday they needed bench help mm-hmm. maybe a couple weeks ago they needed bench help um and then there's there's so much tibbs conversation about minutes distribution and you know so maybe when they are getting contributions from their bench is he letting them play long enough and is there a single fan base in the nba that's happy with the the rotations and and adjustments like i feel like that is the one consistent criticism where i'll see the heat fans talk about that and i think spo is the best coach in the league i i see uh, spurs fans doing that like every single fan base i feel like it's because it's such a vague critique it's uh you know the the guy that isn't playing it's almost like the backup Mm. quarterback conversation when you're not happy with the starter the backup is always the most popular guy because he's not the one out there making mistakes so it's funny you're actually hitting on a question i was going to say for later about bickerstaff because Mm. i saw last year during the playoffs um and this is after us in nick's land had one of the more what would seem on the outside, like just a, like a, a very blase 37 and 45. All right. So you were good last year. You took a step back and like you weren't terrible. But on mm-hmm. the inside, the turmoil and the, the venomous conversations that happened amongst <laughs> the fan base of why aren't they playing the younger players more? Why is Alec Burke starting at point guard? Why is Taj Gibson getting meaningful minutes in crunch time? And it was like he won't play the kids. He doesn't believe in young players. Emmanuel quickly still getting 17 minutes a game. Obi Toppin should be playing more minutes than Julius Randle. And one of the critiques that I just kind of tapped out of the conversation was like, if the front office wants to step in, this ends up being on them at some point. When the Cavs were eliminated and I hmm. saw some of Cavs Twitter getting on JB Bickerstaff for some rotations uh, he could have gone to some adjustments he could have made. It was actually a tweet from you that you said something to the effects of blaming the coach is a bit of a cop out. Players know what they're supposed to do. I can't just like, it might fall somewhat on him, but this like the players have to be held accountable too. And I think that's, that's kind of where I lean. I don't think Tibbs is perfect. I think you're hitting on a theme that I've noticed from these podcasts, like, the, the the couple of Raptors pods that I did where the people are in in Toronto apparently complaining about Nick Nurse they, is they amazing. want him gone yeah is amazing because <laughs> yeah. I'm like in New York where everyone's like we should be more like Nick Nurse and it's like wait okay this is this is fascinating um, is that something that you obviously obviously you just pointed out that you see it in 
in every fan base that it's like, it's clearly the coach's fault. Is that something you've seen at all pop up with Cleveland that, you know, with JB, this is like the first year with a contender that maybe he's not the guy or is it kind of like, Oh, you know what? He's, he's a young head coach and you know, he's, he's our guy for now. Yeah, well, the Cavs did give him an extension uh, no. last year, so it's for, clearly for, the guy for now. Yes. Yeah. So, so for, for fans that are worked up about that, I, I think you're going to have to suck it up for a little yeah. bit. Um, I, I have actually noticed recently, um, especially reintegrating Ricky Rubio into the lineup, uh, coming in off that ACL and a few new parts coming back as, as they get healthy. There's been times where I feel like sometimes someone might get forgotten on the bench, or um, Isaac Okoro as he's starting to play con- more consistently. And, and really making an impact on the team nights where I would like to see him a little bit more. But I honestly, and this is a rant that I've gone on for a few times, but I feel like the modern debate culture when it comes to sports talk, we've turned winning and losing into something that's either genetic or a character trait. So when a team comes up short, we don't want our players, which are the hardest part to replace on a team, to be labeled as not clutch or or they're not winning players, empty stats and all that. So the obvious direction you go there is to blame the coach because that's the easiest thing to do where players as well as coaches, I, I should add, have good and bad games, games where they don't execute games where, you know, they've like, for example, the Cavs have played every other day since december 26th mm. they, they've played 20 or 13 games in i think 24 or 25 days like there's going to be a collective and cumulative fatigue when you're doing that and, and i think that might be somewhat contributing to the inconsistent play that you've seen but a lot of times it comes down to execution like it, when the Cavs give up a bunch of open threes in a game you can automatically say, okay, well, this is the the team falling apart defensively. Um, JB Bickerstaff is schemes that giving up too many open threes. Uh, th- there's been a few nights where teams have shot like 60, 70% from three. Mm. And then you look at the stats and the stats say the Cavs give up. I, I think they're bottom five in terms of most open threes allowed. Like they don't give up a lot of open shots. So what is it? Is it that night they just didn't have their focus, didn't execute defensively? Like, I think the Warriors game is a prime example where they just kind of assumed all the reserves were going to start missing shots at some point and they just didn't. Um, like, I, I, I just think because we're so kind of like trying to analyze whether or not our players are winning players and we don't want to ever, especially if you're online all the time and, and you're always talking trash about your players versus other players, <laughs> you don't want your guys to come up short. And if they do come up short, we need to blame supporting cast. We need to blame uh, coaching. We need to blame anything but the players when Anybody that's played sports, you know, you have good and bad games. You, mm-hmm. you, you learn from the experiences. Coaches have good and bad plays, right? Like, I think we treat coaches like static commodities that they're good and bad. And when they're good, they're just doing their job. And when they make a mistake, it's all of a sudden revealing this flaw that they have that, uh, has to be corrected through a coaching change or something like that. When in reality, Coaches have good and bad games. They have good and bad plays. They grow with the team or they stagnate. And for me right now, you have the Cavs buying into what JB Bickerstaff is doing. And that is the most important thing. Well said, extremely well said. I'm, I'm here for bit, bit of a rant. Sorry for jumping no, on the I, soapbox there. <laughs> believe me, I it, it's the number one thing that I, 
is the most polarizing um, topic here in New York, at least. Um, and this is like this isn't just a, a Knicks thing um, for the Nets fans that do exist. Like Steve Nash was uh, a hot button issue um, for. Oh, my gosh. Ask a Yankee fan about Aaron Boone. <laughs> Man's won nothing but 100 games year after year. And they, you would think he's, you know, the, the worst manager that the team has ever had. And um, yeah, I I think it's tough to evaluate how good and bad a coach is, um, which yeah. is why I end up coming just back to what you can evaluate respectfully. You know, yeah. like I don't it, the, the stats and the data only take you so far from what you don't see behind the scenes, but... Um, and, and you can kind of tell, yeah. right, with buy-in, right? Like, if you have a prolonged period where the team just doesn't seem to be getting an effort and, and there's a disconnect, like, you can feel that. Like, I think you saw that with the Nets and Steve Nash where mm -hmm. the voice kind of ran its course, right? And, and the, there just wasn't a fit there, but... We simplify things to thinking the front office is one person and the coaching staff is one person that makes all the uh, decisions. We don't know how things are delegated, right? Like even from a Cavs perspective, I don't see JB calling out a bunch of plays from the sideline. I think it comes down to Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell often, right? Like he kind of trusts those guys to, to make decisions on the go to read and react. And they have their set plays uh, this year. They're not as good out after timeouts. Last year, they were very good after timeouts, right? Like, there, there's some variance to it. You, you have new pieces in and out. Um, you don't know how things are delegated throughout a coaching staff. So it really is kind of tough to figure out exactly what that is. But that's why I think it's more important to focus on kind of those macro trends. Like, and, and also just being honest, like the, the Cavs having the 12th best offense in the NBA, to me, given the limitations they've had, like missing Darius for large parts of the season, uh, you're often playing with three non-shooters. Like it takes work schematically to go do that. Like the the amount of like split cuts, the the horns that they run, uh, all that kind of stuff to generate spacing without spacers. To me, that's indicative of a good coach. And I'm I'm just curious to see that if the personnel does change and you do add shooting, does the offense evolve? And that's the most important thing. As your players and your personnel improve and evolve, does the offense improve and evolve alongside with it? You just said a trigger phrase that a lot of upset Nick fans would would get upset by the the saying where the team is in offense, even though they don't like how the offense is. Like the Knicks run a ton of isolation with Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson, and at times it, it can get stagnant, especially in crunch time. They're up to sixth in offense this season, and that's why <laughs> I'm 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 trying to like I, I I hear you. Like I don't love the isolation. They also have like nobody that's consistently good from three. So when they are getting good looks, they're number one in the league at open looks and yeah. they're just not hitting them. You know, they don't have like <laughs> a consistent, they don't have a single 40 point. I'll, maybe Jalen Brunson's up to 40%, but they just, I hear you on the, yeah. the conversation. Um, I, I, which it happens on the flip side for, for uh, Cavs fans. Like, uh, yeah. especially as I said, I, I think the influx of Brown's Twitter has, has kind of had an impact on that because there's, there's still lashing out from the, the hurt that they're feeling. But um, like on a night where the Cavs give up a bunch of threes, we'll sit there and we'll say, well, at the time they were first, they're second right now defensively. And the response I'll get is, I don't care. I see what my eyes see. And <laughs> yep. they're the worst I defense. Maybe. <laughs> they're the worst defense in the league. Trust me. They're, they're uh -huh. awful. They give up threes. And I think some of it might also be a product. And, and this is nobody's fault, but 
not watching more games than the ones your team plays in. Like, mm-hmm. because you just have such a skewed idea of what basketball should like and look like. And there's so many outlier performances, so many outlier results. Um, the, the offense is up around the league. Like the Cavs, as I said, give up fewer open wide open threes than most teams in the league, but the league average for wide open threes given up where no defender is within six feet is 17 a game. Mm -hmm. Like if, if another team is hitting some of their contested shots and they make a good percentage of that 17, it's going to feel like you're the worst defensive team in the league. And that's just, that's NBA right now because there's so much talent at every single position. We're no longer playing games where two out of three guys or two, two out of five guys don't know how to play basketball or are on, on the team for one specific role. Everybody can do more these days. Even the big men are good passers. And it just makes it so hard to consistently sustain defense for a full 24 second possession. And if an offensive rebound happens or a loose ball happens and there's a bit of a scramble, God help you. You're going to give up an open shot if the other team recovers it. It The, 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 the key uh, critique lately, especially on the defensive end, has been drop coverage because the Knicks play a lot mm. of drop coverage because they like to pack the paint. Um, that's like a Tibbs principle. And like Isaiah Hartenstein, you're going to see it tomorrow, is not the greatest defender when it comes to, to drop coverage. So during Oh, those, I remember. I remember his time with the Cavs. <laughs> so there you go. Those 10 minutes that he's going to play tomorrow, be ready for the pick and roll to lead to points because that's just how it's been. Or trips to the free season. throw line with him. <laughs> well, it's so funny. He hasn't been that much of like a, an undisciplined defender. It's just been like dropping entirely too far, dropping entirely too early yeah. as well. So it's being, that, being that foot up. slow, right? So th- that when you do recover because you're a second slow, there's going to be some contact and it's going to be called, right? Like that's mm-hmm. the, the kind of small stuff in the margins. So there's a lot of Knicks fans that wish that we'd switch, we'd switch more, you know, and mm. that is because it's not just Hartenstein. It was Mitchell Robinson when he was in. It's Jericho Sims. It's Julius Randle. It's just like a thing they do. And it's like, we're the only team that does this. And last week, or I guess maybe a week and a half ago, doing some research on the Wizards, and I'm watching Taj Gibson be in drop coverage against the Bulls. And it's like, wow. So it's not just, just us. So you got a point there that a lot of fans just watch their team and think it's just their team. Yeah, it's some, some criticisms can be justified. Um, oh, for sure. And what's funny, I, I was going to ask this as a, as a random follow-up, but you mentioned Brown's Twitter coming in, or just Brown's fans <laughs> now paying attention. What's the split there as far as Cleveland is concerned? Is, as far as how, how, big, how big is the pie to like the, the Guardians, the... the, I'm, the I mean, I'm, a, I'm an out-of-towner, so it's a little right. tougher for me. Um, I, obviously, it is a Brown's town and all that, but I, I just think... And I honestly think some of it does have to do with how last season went too, right? Because the most fun parts of the Cavs season were that lead up, right? January was their best month of the year. Um, You're at the all-star break and you're a game out of first place. And then the season falls apart. So for them, you're, you're, I, I don't blame you, right? If you're a casual fan and football's more of your thing, you come in a little later to the party. And last year, you saw the team fall apart. Obviously, mm. injuries had a large part to do with that. And then you come this year and they're playing, you know, five and five, 500 basketball. Um, some losses, like the losses coming in games that they should win and stuff like that. Like, you're going to feel some frustration. You're going to say, ah, this is the, you know, it's the same old Cavs and all that one. In reality, like, 
it's frustrating. It drives me nuts when you drop a game like that, because uh, even if they took care of business against the Warriors, like that makes a big difference in the standings when you're trying to get home court. Um, but this is part of the growing process. Right. And um, I, I just think especially as this team gets healthier, um, they have a real good chance to to start to go on a run. But the biggest thing for them is they need to start like they got to get a little Memphis in them where you just kind of enjoy running teams into the ground because I feel like too frequently they get up by 14 and take their foot off the gas a little bit. And you just can't do that with the offenses in today's game. For over 30 years, the law offices of Weiss and Rosenblum in New York City has been home to a team of award-winning, hard-hitting injury attorneys who have a long track record of seven-figure results. Whether you've been injured in a car accident, fall, construction accident, or other traumatic event, Weiss and Rosenblum will work tirelessly to maximize the award, regardless of the severity of your injury, and get you and your family the fair and just compensation you deserve. Call Weiss and Rosenblum today at 212-366-6100. Again, that's 212-366-6100 or visit weissandrosenbloom.com for more information. No case is too big or too small. Personal attention to your matter is a priority. Once more, call 212-366-6100. Previous results do not guarantee future outcomes. If you think you might have a case, speak with a veteran attorney, not a rookie. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, Knicks fans? I get extremely busy this time of the year. I'm watching basketball games, recording podcasts, and brainstorming ways to trade your favorite Knicks. So I try to save time and skip the grocery store when I can. No matter what your lifestyle, Factor has the meals to help you live it to the fullest. With keto, calorie smart, vegan, veggie, and protein plus meals on the menu each week. 
prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians. Each meal has all of the ingredients you need to feel satisfied all day long. With 34 chef prepared, dietitian approved weekly options, there's always something new to try. Plus, you can round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with an assortment of 36 plus quick bites, smoothies, juices, and more satisfying add-ons. Looking to cut back on takeout? Get Factor instead. Not only is Factor cheaper than takeout, but meals are ready quicker than restaurant delivery in just two minutes. Eating vegan or veggie is a snap with Factor because each meal is prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians. You know that your Factor meal has all of the ingredients you want and nothing you don't. And if you're looking to mix it up, you can add a protein to select vegan and veggie meals each week. Get Factor and enjoy clean eating without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door. Ready in just two minutes, there really is no easier way to eat well. Achieve and maintain your goals this year with Factor. Get America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit and start saving time, eating well, and living your best year ever. Don't hesitate. Head to factor75.com slash filmschool60 and use code filmschool60 to get 60% off your first box. That's code filmschool60 at factor75.com slash filmschool60. To get 60% off your first box. So speaking of the the offenses in today's game, um, the Knicks currently have the sixth ranked offense with Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle. One might wonder what that would look like if another player existed <laughs> in that, that offense. Um, Donovan Mitchell uh, got traded to the Cavs this, this summer. Um, I spent my entire summer uh uh, Justin, I, I kid you not, every morning was me texting John and Jeremy, the hosts of our show, like, okay, here's the plan. If it happens today, like we'll go live. I have the graphic ready. There, There is in a recycle bin in my computer a emergency live stream cover art of Donovan Mitchell potentially going to the Knicks that just never, never saw the light of day. Um, how did you experience it? And like, did, were, was it not real until it happened, or did you start to? Well, I guess, given the the connections that you have to the team, did you like know something was coming before the rest of the world did? No, uh, honestly, like that, that's one thing. Um, with with our partnership with the Cavs, we're, we're not getting intel from them. And tell you nothing, okay. But the nice thing is, right, like we're able to kind of freely give our analysis and stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, it's we, we both kind of leave each other alone, yeah, <laughs> I get it, I uh, which get is it. nice. Um, honestly, when there were the connections to Donovan Mitchell, I thought what that meant was that the Cavs were going to get involved as the third team. I did not think that they were going to pull the trigger on Donovan Mitchell. Uh, you were in a position where you did have Colin Sexton, who. Honestly, like, I, I think he's underappreciated. Uh, he puts up really good numbers. Um, I I still think, like, even though it happened on a bad team, there's some merit to being able to score that well efficiently. And again, like this year, he's I think per 36, he's putting up 21 and four on 60 percent true shooting percentage. Like he's a good player. And my whole thing was I, I was always curious, like if you're going to go all in Yes, Donovan Mitchell is a better version of Colin Sexton, but it comes with a lot of the same flaws. You don't have the assets to to fix up uh, your your situation at the small forward position. 
is it in fact worth it? And what ended up happening for me is after the trade kind of went down and I was thinking it through, I remember that we had those same conversations the previous summer when it came to Jared Allen, where people were so worried about paying him 20 million a year, which seems hilarious at this point. Uh, Cause I, like, I think Jared Allen at 24 years old, he's probably already better than Rudy Gobert <laughs> this season, uh, which like it, it's a steal of a deal at this point. Yeah, but people were yeah. saying, why did you pay him that when you could get like 85% of that with like Rashawn Holmes for, for cheaper, right? But that extra 15% is the toughest thing to find in the NBA. And for me, looking at Donovan Mitchell prior to the season, he had only had one year of league average efficiency. There were questions about the defense and all that. Uh, but then when we had Tony Jones on from The Athletic uh, talking about it, uh, he was talking about how Mitchell wasn't happy with himself last year, that he wanted to be in better shape, um, really was kind of owning up to his own shortcomings, hadn't really requested a trade, but understood that the Jazz were probably rebuilding. And like the fit has just been fantastic. And I think so many of the gambles that the Cavs um, were making with that trade have paid off. Oh, if he plays alongside Darius Garland, efficiency is probably going to go up. It's going to mm-hmm. take a load off him. If you take that load off him, he's probably going to be able to contribute on the defensive end, which he has done. Uh, like he's just playing the best basketball of his career. And uh, it, it's just been a, a seamless fit. So um, I, I think sometimes you can fall in love with your own players and, and you, you talk yourself into that. Uh, we had heard all uh, summer in the interviews we had done that the Cavs really liked Lowry marketing and they felt that he was going to have a breakout, that he was the the closest thing to a fourth member of that core. But when you have the opportunity to add someone like Donovan Mitchell, that's really hard to do. And and to get a young core of four guys like Garland, Mitchell, Mobley, and Allen, that's hard to pass up. So I, I, I really have come to love the deal. And obviously with the way that Donovan's embraced the city, embraced the team, um, that the fact that there hasn't been any friction, it's, it's really been a, a lot of fun from our perspective. So from your perspective, when you saw, I guess, throughout the summer, the connections to the Knicks and how the the conversation seemed to just be like, eventually this will get done. Yeah. Um, did Was there a sense of like the Cavs got one over on the Knicks or that the Knicks blew it in, in a sense? I, I mean, I, I believe I, I said this on a, a Twitter spaces before uh, talking to some Knicks fans, but I... I mm. felt like it hold was on, a- hold on. You you dove into Nick's Twitter spaces or had, <laughs> I, we have a Twitter spaces show. Shout out to our buddy Sean with a W that yeah. uh, is part of our crew and is in charge of our Twitter spaces show. And he's he's in the trenches of Nick's Twitter spaces often. So I, I applaud you for engaging in that battlefield. You know, <laughs> no problem at all. I'm not yeah. going to shy away from a fight or a debate, but honestly, I, I thought it was a blessing in disguise for the Knicks. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that Donovan Mitchell was the piece you brought in when you had everything else to, to kind of help put you over the top. And from a New York perspective, like I, I just thought like the pairing, especially we, we didn't know that Julius Randle was going to bounce back in the way he has this year. Nope. Um, but just the the pairing of Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson, I didn't love that as much as Garland and Mitchell. Uh, Brunson's obviously been fantastic, but I think the gamble you would be making if you made the trade for Donovan Mitchell was Brunson and Mitchell is enough to attract a third star. Like if we clear the cap space around them, that will bring in the star. But without that, I... 
look looking at how competitive the Eastern Conference is, if you're giving up a lot of kind of your wing depth, if you're giving up Grimes and Barrett and first round picks and whatever, that's going to put you in a, in a tough position. And I just didn't know how that was going to go. And, and I I just feel like for the Knicks being a little more patient, taking the organic route, developing the young talent they have. And they still have that war chest of first round picks. And if they could add like a a wing, that's a little more dynamic. Like I I just feel like they're going to be in position to strike, but I I just didn't feel like Donovan Mitchell at that time was the best situation for the Knicks. Like from a cast perspective, I wasn't going to be too fearful of the Knicks. If you guys got Donnie Mm. and the Cavs didn't, like if they just kind of stood pat with Colin Sexton, Larry Markin and, and whatever kind of moves on the margins they would have done if the Mitchell trade did not occur. So first of all, thank you for saying it because that it, there's been a few moments this season when the, the offense has struggled. And um, obviously there was a 71 point game that if it had happened in Madison square garden, I'd still be talking <laughs> about it. Um, but the, the bigger takeaway, even if it is like, the Knicks tried to trade for Donovan Mitchell. So it's tough to be like they 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 didn't walk away. You know, the process I still have so many issues with. It felt more like they fumbled the ball at the one, but yeah. it ended up being a touchback or a touchdown anyway. You know, like the analogy I was using was that they they jumped out of the airplane without a parachute, but they yeah. landed. So it's like, oh great, you you landed, but no, you still jumped out of the airplane without a parachute. And and Mitchell's I, leap this season, right? Like that's that changes the equation. Like I'm thinking back to how I felt at the time. Like, yeah. But you, everything in the NBA is so context driven. And, and again, this gets back to how we evaluate players. And so often, I think it's more about situation and whether or not guys are getting maximized. And uh, the the fact that they, no matter what, like you look back at Mitchell last year in Utah. They staggered him and Rudy Gobert because they're like, we need to have one of them on the court at all times. Well, the Cavs have Mobley and Allen. So Mitchell always has a pick and roll partner with him. Uh, He's always had a second ball handler with him, whether it's Garland or Levert. So things have like, even though there isn't the three point shooting he had around him in Utah, he's still able to generate better looks. And and the the load is lighter on him as a result then. And I just... You just don't know if that would be the same thing in New York. I, I could certainly see it working out, but it's it's so tough. Like, I, I just it's not something that I would rip the Knicks over, right? yes. I think, is the simplest way to put it. Well, to your point, you just made like Evan Mobley is a pick and roll partner with Donovan Mitchell. That's not what Julius Randle is, you know, and, yeah. and even during the summer, the at least from our perspective, it was like once the Mitchell trade happens, then you have to trade Julius Randall, which yeah. he wasn't an asset last summer. We, there was, and, and you're dealing there was, from a position of weakness, right? Like right, with, teams with, know you're trying to move a guy. They're going to lowball you with how bad he was last season, especially just like you couldn't depend on him off ball. You couldn't depend on him with the ball. Obi Toppin seemed to look like a better option off ball. And so it was like, if you get a Donovan Mitchell, I guess you're going all in on offense because like you said, the fit within the backcourt with him in um, and Jalen Brunson isn't great as far, excuse me, in the yeah, the backcourt, especially on defense. And then you've traded all your wing depths. So I guess Carmelo Anthony is your starting three at that <laughs> sense because you've traded Grimes and quickly and whoever yeah. else would have went the deal. So while the sentiment was like, thank God they didn't, you know, 
go all in like this when they weren't ready. And it, like, that's what I, to Knicks fans that I empathize with because very, very rarely do you get a, a generational offensive player like him. And when you can get the guy, you get the guy. Like this goes back to the Carmelo, the Carmelo Anthony trade where it was like, well, you had a chance to get the guy. So you got the guy. And it's the team building issues I have after that trade that I'm more critical of. Right. And so and, and the, also like there's just like the collective hurt, right? Like the yeah. Cavs fans can relate to this. Like when you feel like you're in the mix for a player all the time, but you don't get them right. Like there's going to be just that frustration that builds over time. And, and that's been a thing for the Knicks. But I, I honestly like me looking at it as an outsider. I think the this is the most kind of stable that I, I've seen the Knicks be in a long time. Like you, I, you'd I, never I like, know it from covering them, Justin. <laughs> I, I agree. I'm just like, yeah. wow. Like the thing we're arguing about is on the court. Like that's yeah. the only thing we have an issue with. We're talking about drop coverage versus like how they're guarding the pick and roll. We're not talking about whether the owner banned somebody from, from the <laughs> arena. We're not talking about whether uh, Charles Oakley's allowed to go attend games. We're not talking about whether what entrance Spike Lee walked into or what Max Kellerman said. Like it's all yeah. on court is what the Knicks conversation is, which is what I've been begging for for years, you know? Right. And, and when you're at a point like that, as frustrating as it is, I'm sorry to say some of it's trial and error, right? Like you try different coverages, you try different rotations. And um, even though like a rotation might not be working, coaching staff might want seven, eight games of sample size to see whether or mm -hmm. not that can work. We're, we're working on something uh, through walkthroughs and shoot arounds. And we want to like really kind of test this out. Like the Cavs did that to start the year with Karis LeVert, like uh, as the starting small forward. And funny enough, that's still the five man combination that works the best with the core four. Uh, I think it's like a plus nine net rating, but it wasn't best for LeVert. So he's now coming in off the bench, right? Like you're going to give different looks, different coverages, different schemes, different rotations, prolonged looks because basketball can be noisy in small sample sizes and you want guys to have the opportunity to work through it, especially when you're talking about young players that are malleable and uh, can adjust and grow into different roles. Like you might have shortcomings with the certain lineup, but if the coaching and player development staff feels like guys can grow into that role and they can adjust and, and, and learn from these experiences, you might do that with a young team, even if it leads to inconsistent results in the immediate uh, present. Well, in the immediate present, um, the Knicks play the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, when people hear this, this will be um, in about seven hours. So tonight here on Tuesday, um, they welcome the Cavs to MSG for the second time this season. Uh, the last time they played was one of the more interesting matchups because the Cavs, you talk about missing open looks. Well, boy, did they miss a ton of open threes that game. And I, I, I want to say it was 13 travels were called in this game <laughs> on a Sunday night in, in MSG. Uh, I don't know if you caught wind of this, but there was a lot of chatter, not just in, in Twitter, like legitimate reporting was done that had the Knicks lost this game, like got blown out by the Cavs with Donovan Mitchell coming to MSG for the first time that the Knicks might even have a new coach. And instead mm -hmm. it started an eight game winning streak that I'd argue saved the coach's job. They went 17. Yeah. They went, they've just finished a stretch where they were 17 and 10 uh, before this little losing streak that they just had. Um, and now the Cavs come in and the, while, while they're five and five in the last 10, they're obviously coming off a win against the Bucks. 
And Donovan Mitchell hasn't played his last three games with a groin injury. So I guess my first question is, what is your guess about his availability for Tuesday night? I, I kind of feel okay about it. Um, during the Bucks broadcast, uh, Brad Doherty ha- had mentioned that he had talked to Donovan Mitchell, who said that he wanted to play that game against the Bucks, and JB Bickerstaff was kind of playing it safe. Like, let's make sure that this doesn't become a recurring thing. Uh, so, as I mentioned, this is the first time they've had two days off in a while. So maybe that kind of factored into the calculus that we rest you against the Bucks, and you get an extra two days of rest, then we can go to MSG and, and try to run this back as a, a full unit for the first time in a long time. Um, so maybe he plays, but I, I can still see like they've been very cautious with injuries because that's part of why you go out and trade for Donovan Mitchell, right? Like last year, the drop off was so damn dramatic when Darius Garland was off the court. And now they have the ability to kind of weather the storm. If you miss Jared Allen, they still had actually their defense improved for like the five game stretch Mm -hmm. that they missed Jared Allen uh, because Evan Mobley was just playing so well over that stretch. So um, obviously I'd I'd like to see Donovan back. Um, I think the one thing that they've been kind of robbed of uh, to start the season is just not a enough time with the core four together um, to, to kind of feel things out. But yeah, I, I would guess that he'd play, but it's funny looking back at that loss to the, the Knicks that they had earlier this year. There's been a couple games like that where a team beats the Cavs. It's a frustrating loss for the Cavs. You're looking at the record of the opponent and then they just go on a massive run. Like the mm-hmm. Kings, I believe had lost like three games in a row. They were um, well below 500, but then they beat the Cavs they had a great shooting night and then they just went on a run and, and haven't looked back since. So um, maybe I'll take that as a compliment, as a form of flattery teams feel like, Hey, let's get up for the Cavs. We'll beat them. And uh, winning, it kind of helps rally the team. Uh, that's n- hasn't been the case in a very long time. So um, maybe that's what it is. But I know from my perspective, um, it'd be <laughs> sure be nice to see the Cavs come out with a more consistent effort and uh, re- really attack the, the Knicks on the interior. Well, from my perspective, I'm very much hoping that trend continues and that a new a new streak for the Knicks starts uh, once again <laughs> after playing the Cavs um, would be uh, I, I'm not someone that um, roots for injuries. So I wouldn't hate seeing Donovan Mitchell in attendance as a fellow Mets fan. I, I happen to be a, a big fan of Donovan Mitchell. In fact, my conspiracy theory um, is that um, karma is real. And the moment that Donovan Mitchell didn't get traded to the Knicks actually happened to coincide with the Mets downfall in the month of September. So um, not saying one is responsible for the other, but the the way that things just happened to suddenly turn around for the Mets in a different direction, allowing the Braves to catch them in the division um, just happened to be like the moment Donovan Mitchell was a Cavalier and not a New York Nick. So look, man, the, the universe is all connected and one, one wave here affects another mm-hmm. wave there. You, you, you never know. Yep. Never know. Um, although th- I'm telling you, I think I do know this one. Um, Justin, <laughs> you've been amazing with your time today and uh, I really appreciate it. Last question. Um, again, you're, you're part of the Cavs media family. Um, how does that, like, just how does that feel um, as like a member of like, like you're doing a podcast for the Cleveland Cavaliers? Um, I, I mean, it's still very surreal. Um, like my biggest thing is I just don't want to fuck it up. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like for, for me, I, I, it's been really, really refreshing that they've allowed us to continue 
like the, the same tone of the podcast, right? Like we were able to have conversations like when prior to last season, I could talk about, Hey, like maybe it's time to cut bait with Kevin love and, and we're not hearing from it. Right. Because I, I just take it because we're not doing it for a career, right? Like that, that is a side thing. It's all right. Let's not be hot takey. Let's try to present both sides of every argument. And then from there, we can have kind of productive conversations about uh, what the next steps are or, or why we feel the way we do. And just kind of being solutions orientated and really kind of process driven and and connect with the fans. And I, I don't know. I, I just I feel like a sense of responsibility to not mess it up because one, I, I like having that partnership for sure. But at the same time, like I just think it is a really unique thing that we're able to do this from a fan perspective where we're not doing, we're not diving into the sources game where we're not going outside of the lanes that we have and just kind of facilitating conversation. And I just, I'm honored that there's enough listeners out there that are looking for that kind of content. Uh, I'm honored that the chaos felt like there's some value to it and, and continue to platform us. So uh, yeah, just, just don't want to mess it up. And I can't believe how much things have changed with the team, even since we started back in, uh, I guess that was February, 2021 mm-hmm. um, that, that initially uh, initially got announced and the team uh, seems to be on the upswing. So it, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And talk about, uh, the karma changing with with the team once something happened you once you got there We're is, franchise changing edition right clearly there, <laughs> clearly bigger bigger than lebron coming back i'd yeah. argue you know <laughs> shout uh, out kobe altman he had the vision <laughs> there you go uh justin thank you so much for joining me um tell everybody where they could find the chase down and obviously you on the internet yeah, absolutely. You can find me at Kazanada on Twitter. Just slap the Cavs in Canada. And I apologize for everything you find after that fact. <laughs> um, you can find uh, the Chase Down on the Cavs YouTube channel. And you can find us as well wherever you get your podcast, wherever you're listening to this. Uh, I'm sure you can find us there as well. So we uh, we appreciate anyone that's uh, willing to check us out. Awesome. Thank you, Justin. Andrew, thank you so much. Have a good one. Okay. That was, in my opinion, outstanding. Um, I hope you all enjoyed it. Thank you to Justin. Please give him a follow. Please give the chase down a follow. If you are interested in what Donovan Mitchell is up to, because you really wanted him to come to the Knicks, there is no better place to get Cleveland Cavaliers news than the chase down than him and Carter. They do a great job over there uh, at the chase down. And, you know, I'd wish him luck, but I really want the Knicks to win tonight. So let's hope that happens. Um, after it happens, the Nick's film school crew of, of John Macri and potentially Benji. We're doing playback tonight. So if you want to join Patreon, you can join us for all our patrons. We will be on playback tonight around uh, 730 for the game against the Cavaliers. Uh, so maybe Benji will jump on with John to start the, the post game show tonight. Um, but we'll be live after the game, win or lose, as we always are. And uh, hopefully it's a win. Believe me, I'm hoping. Uh, but that'll do it for me. If you dig the show, head over to iTunes, drop a five star rating and a review. Um, I'll be back later this week to preview the next game against the Celtics, hopefully looking for two straight and very much hopefully trying, hopefully not talking about avoiding six straight. Jesus, boy, would that be an interesting show to do. Um, But until next time, thank you for listening. Stay safe out there. Enjoy the game tonight and I'll speak with you soon. Peace.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.